Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, and welcome to Mark My Words. This is Mark Homer. I'm really excited today because I've got Dr. John Martini here with me. He's a human performance and behavioral specialist. Rob has been learning about Dr. John for years and years. Uh, He's been imparting a lot of that knowledge on me. I know a lot less about Dr. John, but I know enough to know that he is one of the, the biggest, biggest guys in this area. So John, tell us more about yourself. What is it that you, you teach? What is your philosophy? Well, for the last 44 years, I have been researching everything and anything I could get my hands on that helps people maximize their who they are, to help them master their lives, to help them achieve what they would love to achieve, help them perform at greater levels, um, help them be inspired and live inspired lives. So I full-time travel and teach and research and write and do whatever I can in one-on-one and consulting or one-on-many in presentations to assist people in doing exactly what they would love to do in life and clarifying that if they're not clear. So if somebody came to you uh, with a, a set of goals or things that they wanted to, um, to, to get done or you know wanted to get close to, I guess they may have blockages or they may have kind of, I don't know, personal issues or you know whatever it may be, that that's the sort of thing you work on to? to well, it, it's quite diverse. I may be speaking in front of a, like in Tehran, I was speaking to 200 government officials, wow. leaders, yeah. and 400 leading corporate executives. Right before that, I was in Tokyo speaking to a general audience and a audience dealing with uh, investing uh, with a Sabakami group. Right before that, I was in Australia and I was doing a personal development rally in four cities to about a thousand each on waking up entrepreneurship. I was in South Africa before that and I was working with a soccer team and also with general audiences on defining what they really wanted to do and peak performing. So I may also be in front of the educational departments and helping inspire our youth. I may be involved in Hollywood working on helping people overcome anxieties and fears and going to the next level in their, their performance. Every day is different, but the bottom line is to help people get clear about what they would love to do in their lives and help them get there whatever way. And and we do this in what I call the seven areas of life. We help people wake up their genius and education. We help people build their business internationally if necessary. We help them build their wealth. We help them build their relationships so they don't destroy their wealth. We help them in their social leadership skills. We help them in their physical health and well-being so they can sustain a great life and help them be inspired, whatever their faith is or belief is, help them inspire their life. So that, that's fascinating. And I, I imagine to get to this point, you know, to be able to speak in front of so many people and, and, and teach so many people and impart your knowledge, you must have had a massive journey. So tell us a little bit around about how, you know, your journey has progressed. Where did you start? What have you done along the way? Well, I was born with my... Uh, arm and uh, leg deformity. <clears throat> and so I had to wear braces. And when you've been wearing braces at two to four years old, you have a very strong desire to get free of that. 
And I think that has a lot to do with my lifestyle today because I'm pretty free. I travel full-time around the world. I'm really not uh, bound to any place. Even my home is a ship that travels around the world, so I'm not in one spot. So you, your home is on a ship, and, and it's... The, 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 I live on a ship, yes, that, that circumnavigates the world, and I, I get off and on it as I'm speaking, but I, I full-time travel either by flight or by ship. Fascinating. So I, I think that started from pro- probably childhood. I was told in first grade that I would never be able to read or write or communicate, never amount to the thing, never go very far in life by the first grade teacher because of my learning problems. I didn't read until I was 18. And I dropped out of school and was a street kid. So I lived on the streets really from about age 13 to about age 18. And then one night, I made my way first, I hitchhiked to California from Texas and I eventually made it over to Hawaii because I picked up surfing. And I was kind of a hippie surfer guy back in the 60s. And um, one night, one message by one man named Paul Bragg inspired me because I attended a class and I got inspired. And and that one night he made me believe that I could break through my learning problems and learn how to read. And I had a desire to be intelligent, but I never thought I was going to be. And that night I got in so inspired by the gentleman that I made a dream to go and travel the world and become intelligent and teach. And so from age 17, that's 44 years ago, that night was the beginning of my my learning pursuits and my desire to teach. Since then, I I learned how to read. I went back and got GED for high school equivalency and an ACT for getting into college. I went back to college for nearly 10 years and um, overcame all my learning problems and excelled and put in a lot of effort, tremendous amount of effort to learn how to overcome the learning problems. My mom helped me with that because I had to memorize 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough to pass school. And I never stopped wanting to learn after that and I started to develop speed reading and speed learning. And that just led me to just voluminously read, I mean, 18 to 20 hours a day. So I just wanted to learn everything I could about everything I could to help maximize human awareness and potential. And I started speaking. First, well, the first student I ever had, who's still a student of mine, 44 years later, is somebody that just asked me to teach him a particular thing I had been learning. And then another person, another person, and I started gathering. By the time I went to the University of Houston, I'd have 100 to 150 people a day under the trees doing Q&As on whatever I was learning. And then when I went on to professional school, I, I ended up having classes seven nights a week, and some during the day, because I got to teach at the school. And um, then it grew from there to the community, and I opened up my practice as a health professional, and I started doing radio and television and newspapers and magazine articles and every form, any possible way I could get a message out to teach, I started doing. And that grew from from the local community to eventually the state and then a nation, and then I started doing the national. And I think I've now taught in 119 countries now. So I just full-time travel around the world and, and speak today. That's absolutely fascinating. I, I can't imagine being able to read that quickly or, or have that kind of vast amount of books and, and, and I suppose, knowledge all, you know, retained in my head. How many, just, you know, I'm a numbers guy and I like facts and figures. So just give me an idea on a, you know, in a year or, you know, in, in the last 40 years of teaching, how many books would you read? Well, I've broken the 30,000 mark now. 30,000 books. Yeah. You've read 30,000 books. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I, um, when I was about 23, 
I was reading faster and faster and faster once I learned how to read. When you've been told you'll never read, and you discover you can, you want to read. And so from 23 to 27, I really accelerated. And I would sometimes read on a weekend 18 hours a day or more, 20 hours a day sometimes. So I would, on a typical day, I would get up at 2, I would then go and do some meditation and some yoga, and then at 2.30 I would start speed reading, and I would read four to seven books, usually by 6.30. And then I would get up and jog, come back, and then I'd clean up and then go to school. And then if the teacher was interesting, I would listen. If not, I'd read. Or I'd get to take over the class, because I got to take over many of the classes I was taking, teaching. And then uh, at night, I would teach each night whatever I read, which accelerated my retention of information, because when you present it, you tend to retain it. Mm. And then I would go to bed, so I, an average four hours, I, I, for at least 37 years, I did four hours uh, sleep a night. And I read most every minute I could. If I was, I mean, I was sort of neurotic. I would, if I was going to the restroom, I'd read 10 pages. If I'd coming back, I'd read 10 pages. I would go to the rest, rest, restaurant, I would sit and read while I'm waiting for food. I, I used my time very effectively to try to learn and absorb as much information as I possibly could. And I just uh, loved reading. So. You know, in a, in a year, whatever that number is, I don't know. The, the, the speed of reading now is way lower, and a lot of it's online now, because I have 19 researchers sending me information daily to help me expedite the process. But the number of books is, is not nearly as much as it was in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, because my speaking is quite intense. I do 350 plus speeches a year. So I do a lot of interviews, about a thousand interviews a year. Okay. So that made it where the speaking uh, is dominated more so than just the research. But I still research every day. I get at least three hours a day. That's incredible. So you're effectively, you're like this human sponge kind of absorbing all the knowledge of the world. And I, I can't, well, I can't really imagine anybody. Is there anybody who's read more books? And I don't have? know. I'm, I'm, I've been told that... Um, you know, I, I know people that have libraries. Uh, I know of one person that had 150,000 books in the library. How much they read of that, I don't know. But I'm sure there's people that have read. I, I don't think I'm any world record or anything. But I haven't even attempted that. I just want to know. I just love learning. I love presenting and learning things. So I, I set out when I was 18, I set out to learn the most universal laws I could because I want to build a foundation of knowledge around the most universal principles I could find. So I went to the encyclopedia and I looked up every discipline that could be known and I wrote them down alphabetically and then I decided that I would attempt to read at least a hundred books on every known discipline. So I would have a more universal principles that I could base things on and that led me to a lot of reading and that, that's now up to 296 different disciplines. So I've just kept expanding that and I read. In some areas I've read way more in the, than just hundred books, more like a thousand books on that topic, and others maybe forty books on that topic. So it, it varies because some I'm more interested and less interested. But I just love learning. I just I, I can't wait to learn new inspiring ideas and sharing those with people in a way that they if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts 
by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. get to expand their life. That just, that's what brings tears to my eyes. So as part of this, I guess, you know, your your 40 odd year journey in this zone, you know, has, has pushed you on quite a lot in business as well, because in a way you could say you're running a business. I don't know what, what that involves for you back at home or, you know, on, on the ship that you live on, but you've picked quite a lot you know, quite a lot up in terms of business, investment, and um, you know, you've obviously read about it, learned about it, but I'm sure you've experienced a hell of a lot of it yourself as well. So is that something that you're kind of focused on in a practical way, or is it is it more about the kind of human psychology of both of this? Yeah. <clears throat> because it, you want both. You, you have a sensory cortex and motor cortex you want to absorb and you want to apply. So yeah, I wanted to, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be uh, financially independent because I wanted to master that area. So I devoured uh, hundreds, really over thousands, book on wealth building, and tried to learn from that. And I've had mentors along the way from um, uh, real estate developers that have had their billionaires that are basically worked in that area, to uh, property managers, people that have you know four thousand properties, things of this nature. So I've try to learn and mentor under different people, but I also just love reading. And after a while, you you pick up some from mentors and definitely some from reading, and you try to learn as much as you can. And I try to disseminate and share that, the best information I can. I, I figure that my if I deliver quality information that will stand the test of time, I'll accomplish what I set out to do. So I try to read and learn as much as I can from as many people as I can. And I've been blessed to meet amazing people and get to go to amazing places and get to do amazing things to help that process. So that helps in the mentoring and learning process. And plus, I get to apply it. I, mean, I have done some property investing and, um, and a lot of stock investing and companies so, and art and other forms of investing. So I guess you get to see a hell of a lot of different people along your journey. And you get to see what works and what doesn't work in terms of taking them from where they are to where they want to be. And there must be some, a few, if you could crystallize, there must be a few models and, you know, ways in which they can operate, you know, that that you could impart on some of our listeners, you know, to to help, help them get to their goals a little bit more quickly. Well, each individual lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important in their life. Whenever they are setting goals that are aligned and congruent with their highest value, they are spontaneously inspired from within, intrinsically, to achieve it. They'll walk their talk. They won't limp their life. Because of that, their brain and mind is set up to fulfill the highest value. And we perceive, we make decisions, and we take actions according to our values. And so the hierarchy of our values are dictating our destiny. So if we know it's really truly important to us, and not the injected values of other people that we think are important to us, 
we can definitely escalate and accelerate the growth and momentum and development of achieving whatever it is that we're setting out for. And what that is may not be what other people expect. I mean, I, I, I received a book from a beautiful patient many years ago, and uh, she had got it from her father, and the father had got it from the Kennedy family, the, the parents of John F. Kennedy. And in that book, she gave it to me because she thought I would appreciate that book more so than she could understand. And in that book, there was a handwritten mission statement by Rose Kennedy. And in there it said, I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. So her mission, which was congruent with her highest values, was to raise a family of world leaders. So achievement is accelerated and expanded to the degree that we're congruent with what's really important to us. So discovering that, knowing thyself, is crucial in the achievement world because some people are trying to be somebody they're not. Emerson, the, the philosopher, said that envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. And so often we are injecting the values of others and comparing ourselves to others and living the shadows of people instead of standing on the shoulders of giants by being authentic and integral to what's really important to us. And we sometimes are afraid to face what's really important to us, but that's where we'll excel. And if we want to excel in derivative areas, then it's wise to link whatever those derivative areas are to that highest value to accelerate that uh, momentum in that area. So if you're in the investment world, if you don't really truly have a high value on wealth building and investing, it'll be more challenging to do so. So what I usually tell people in the investment world is to write down, first of all, make a list of everything that has been proven through mentorship that has worked to develop the investments. Now, you guys are the mentors already to many hundreds of thousands of people or so. And as a result of it, you have already created some of the checklist, some of the things. If you do these things, you'll expedite that process. So discovering that checklist of highest priority actions, the, the strategies that have proven to work, looking at those actions and asking how specifically is doing each of those actions gonna help you fulfill what's highest on your value you'll increase the probability of actually disciplining yourself to do it, and you'll automatically increase the probability of building a momentum and achievement. So if you can't see how doing the actions are gonna help you fulfill what's meaningful to you, you're automatically gonna procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. So it's getting a link between what's absolutely essential to build the momentum and your highest values if you wanna maximize the, the goal achievement. That's fascinating. Uh, I hadn't really dissected it in that way before. And, uh, you know, for me, it's always been, well, I've loved making money. I've loved investing. I put it in a kind of different, I, I, I guess, me saying I love is is a little bit like you saying, well, they're your values. Well, your highest yeah. value, you, you are spontaneously inspired from within to do. Hmm. It is the most meaningful, most fulfilling thing you can do. And you will language it linguistically as I love it. So when you're doing something you love and loving what you do, you're definitely going to have an advantage over people that are doing it because they have to. Anytime there's an injunction, an injection, uh, what do you call imperative language from others, you should do this, you ought to do this, I need to do this, I got to do this, I have to do this, I must do this. Those are not you speaking. Those are the injected values of other people speaking through you. The second you find out what you love doing and you're doing something you love, you don't need motivation on the outside to get you to do it. It's spontaneously, intrinsically called from within. That's the difference between the super achievers and the people that are in the good to great. Is like a, the, the people that are great, they're the ones that go on and 
are having congruency. The rest of them are trying to be somebody they're not and fighting themselves inside. So they found that, that specific thing that they love and they're doing it over and over again. And maybe the other things that... They've linked to it. They need, yeah, the other things they've linked to it, but the, the other things that they they kind of need to do in their life or their business or whatever it is to reach their goals. Maybe they're getting other people to do those or... That's it. Uh, you, if you're... If you're if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions that don't. If you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, you're going to keep attracting challenges that don't. And if you don't uh, delegate lower priority things and go on to do things that produce the income to cover those delegations, you can never live an inspired life or a wealthy life financially. So it's caring enough about humanity to find out what the greatest needs are, the greatest challenges in the world that you could solve and pursuing those, the ones that are inspiring to you, and making sure that therefore you can earn income from it to be able to pay for the delegations to liberate yourself from the lower priority distracting things that need to be done, but not by you. You have to be able to say no to low priority things if you want to live an inspired life. All I do is research, write, travel, teach. The rest of it's delegated away for many, many years. I don't do anything but research, write, travel, teach. I don't drive, I haven't cooked, I don't do any of those things. Last time I drove was 26 years ago. <laughs> really? That's, that's unbelievable. The whole concept of, of leverage and getting other people to do lower priority tasks or things that you don't love, that's certainly something in the last five years I've really, really focused on and uh, had to get myself out of myself or you know, had, to, had to move out of the way and, and effectively trust others to, to do those things that I always thought, well, there's only really me that can do it properly or I haven't got the time to train them or I don't trust them. To, to keep doing it because maybe they won't be here in six months' time or they won't do it properly or whatever. And I, for me, when I got over some of those things, it really, it really supercharged my performance because I was focusing more on the things I was good at. And also, uh, it meant I had a lot more time to do the things that, that I was good at. So That's, that's uh, wisdom speaking because when I was 27, turning 28, I came upon a book by Alec McKenzie called The Time Trap. And I have to say that that book, although one of many, was a liberator because I had the same concerns you had. You know, by the time I could delegate, I could have done it. Uh, I'm the only one that knows what they're doing. I, mean, I had all the pitfalls, all the traps. And um, that book helped me go through them because I had a checklist I made out of all the traps. And I, each day I was making myself accountable to make sure that those traps weren't running my life. And it didn't take long to, to prioritize things and relinquish things because I realized I could produce more. For instance, I was practicing as a health professional at the time, and I could generate about $1,500 an hour doing classical clinical stuff. This is 1982, 1983. And um, that's a decent income, but, it's, but I found out that if I was to go and do a talk at a breakfast meeting for 60 people, and do a presentation, I could generate between five and eight new patients. Well, each patient was worth about $3,000 on a case average. And so what I did is I hired five doctors to train on my clinical work, and I went out and spoke, and I could generate 15000 now in an hour instead of 1500 So I could 10 times leverage this. And then I would train them to do the, the clinical work, and then I prioritized my patients and I only focused on those patients that had the greatest outreach and leverage in the biggest companies 
or the biggest uh, network they had. And so I clinically worked with those and I did my speaking. And uh, I was able to escalate that process and make more income, do things that were meaningful to me because I love teaching and also inspiring people. And then I could delegate some of the clinical work and train those people in my knowledge and then get research data from them to be able to make a more refined clinical application. So I found that if I did that, it, I, I generated more income, I made extracted surplus labor value out of each of the employees, I gave them better incomes than they would normally get on their own. Everybody won out of the process. And that's the, that's the name of the game as far as entrepreneurship. So you're effectively scaling your clinical operation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, then I, then I, what I did, I then offered those same services to other doctors and took half of what they were generating. So if I wasn't speaking and I could go and go and speak for their groups that they would put together, I would generate half of that. So I might not make 15, I might make $7,000 in the hour doing theirs. So I leveraged it until I was speaking to thousands of doctors around the world. And what was it? What 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 was the activity? What, what were you? What were the doctors doing? Well, they were different specialties, so it would depend okay. on their specialty. But I I learned I, I started teaching doctors how to build their practices yeah. more efficiently, and so they could be free to not be constrained by insurance companies and clinical laws and rules and things. So they could set themselves free. So you're effectively like a, a business coach to doctors. I was a business coach mentor in those days, in the 80s, for a lot of clinics. We did over 1,000 clinics. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I know there's loads of people listening to, to this now who will think, well, you know, I, I've got a dream, I've got a goal, I want to do this. But, you know, I'm in my job, I've, you know, there's A, the time constraint, and, you know, that's probably something that they've got to work on. But there'll be quite a few people around them as well, like their family or their friends or their, their husband, their wife, who they might be a little bit resistant to the change that maybe, you know, maybe lo they're looking to make. And, um, you know, they'll throw things in the way and say negative things to them. And maybe if they listen to one of your, you know, your, your audio programs, they, they, they might have something to say about that. What advice would you give those people to, to deal with that so that they can punch through and, and, and get to their goals? Well, no two people have the same set of priorities and values. If any two people exactly the same one would not be necessary. And so you're not going to be married to somebody that has an identical set of values. They're going to have different needs. In fact, if you're dedicated as an entrepreneur and you're trying to have a family, somebody's got to be dedicated to the family. So the spouse may be that person. And so their, their values are going to be projected onto you like yours will be projected onto them very commonly. And so if you don't learn the mastery and the art of caring about them enough to know what's really valuable to them and articulate what you want to do in terms of what's valuable to them, like a salesperson would do to a sales customer, then you're going to get resistance. Resistance is a feedback mechanism to let you know that you're narcissistically projecting your values instead of caringly communicating your values in terms of their values. If you have equanimity within yourself and equity between you and the other person, you will see that their values are equally as valuable to you. If so, you will then care enough to communicate in their values what you want to do. When you do, you don't get resistance. You're getting resistance because you're assuming that your values are more important than theirs and projecting them onto them, and then they're going to automatically try to level the playing field. That's what a relationship's for. And so, Learning the art of communicating in people's values is probably the most efficient system a person can do in managing employees, 
working in relationships or customer service. You have to care enough about the people that you're working with to help them get what they want if you want to get what you want. So effectively, if I want to persuade my my fiance to spend less money or buy less handbags, I need to somehow find out, I should already know, what her highest values are and speak to her in those terms. That's it. Um, Can I give you an example? Yeah, please, because um, I'm I'm my, I'm just getting used to this myself now, and I'm, my, I'm, I'm my, trying to uh, implement it. My former wife, who's passed away now, used to love to go in New York. We were living in Trump Tower, New York, and she used to love to go to Le Cirque restaurant. And sometimes going to Le Cirque restaurant for me was a little too rich of food and uh, with wine. It'd be a thousand dollar dinner, and sometimes she would talk with friends and they'd drink a bit. And sometimes it wasn't inspiring to me. I, I felt like it wasn't the most meaningful dinner. So I told her, I said, sometimes I enjoy going there, not against the restaurant, the restaurant was fabulous, but sometimes the setting just wasn't appealing. I'd rather read a book. <laughs> so I, uh, I told her, I said, this is not really inspiring to me to do this day after day. And she says, okay. And she was smart enough, my wife is brilliant enough, to care enough about me to know what my values were. She knew that I loved learning. She knew I loved intelligent conversations. She knew that I wanted to grow business and generate wealth and have social influence. So she went out of her way to, in, in her own network, to make sure that when we went to dinner, it was with dinner with people that had influence and that had companies that if I went to dinner with them, I would probably get a return on my investment. So she said, honey, right now I've got the CEO of Pfizer Corporation uh, and his wife and I'd like to go to dinner. Would you like to go to the Cirque? I have a feeling that uh, you talking to him would be uh, worth your weight in gold. And the last time we went to dinner with one of those heads of the company, you walked away with about 50 grand. And so, um, and you had an incredible conversation. Now you have a long-term friendship. Maybe that could happen this time. So now, because of her wisdom in communicating in my values, I was loving to go to the Cirque because she was basically sketching it. Now, if she had been probably even more on the ball, she might would have said that um, I will organize amazing people to go to dinner with, but I'll take 50% of whatever you generate. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that would have been another step forward. So effectively, she's, um, she, she's found a way of appealing to your what it is you want. That's how I would. That's what you call caring. Yeah. Caring is caring enough about another person to communicate what you want in terms of what they want. That's it. It's fascinating. I, um, you know, this is a whole world, a new world to me, and I'm I'm getting quite excited because um, although I've got quite a few of your audio programs, I haven't listened to them all, and uh, that's the first thing I'm going to be doing when I get home tonight. I'm going to get it two times speed and, uh, and 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 try and you know soak up some more of this knowledge. I'm finding it fascinating. It is like a whole whole new zone for me. Yeah, I'm like a kid in a candy shop. If the average person kind of goes through their life and their day and their their, their kind of working career and they're you know a lot of the time they're they're listening to the media they're they're watching the tv they're reading newspapers and a lot of the kind of views and the the information they're getting and the i suppose the the learning comes from from the media what what would you say about what a lot of the media kind of imparts on people and you know about trusting what they say well i seldom watch tv unless i'm on it (laughs) Jokingly, or if I do, it's very selective. You, you have, once I learned about the time trap, I realized I started spilling that over into other areas of my life and I started asking, so what's the highest priority thing I can be doing with my life? So what are the highest priority books I can read, for instance? So I found out that 
and reading that the founders of each ology or discipline are the best, right, the best people to read. So if I studied geology, for instance, I'd want to go to Buffon or I want to go to Gilbert or the people who founded that industry because they're the originators and the creative thinkers that had the mm. courage to create something new, the innovators. So I want to prioritize my reading into the highest priority, most creative and most ingenious, brightest individuals in their fields. Then when if I was associating with people and socializing, I'd want to ask, so who are the highest priority people that I would want to spend my time with? Now, if I'm doing activities like television, which I don't usually watch, that's not something I normally do, but if I was to watch television, I would sit down and look at all the different things on the television, and I would prioritize it so I would fill my day and my mind with the most important things I could fill my mind with. It's my life, and it goes by quick, and you want to make sure you're living your life to the fullest. If you're not doing something meaningful, you'll be trapped in entertainment to temporarily satisfy immediate gratification of hedonic pleasure to compensate for an uninspired, meaningful life. So it's so important to prioritize what you're doing to have the most meaning because much of the media is sensationalism. They're very polarized sensationalism to grab attention, not necessarily to inform. Just like the educational system is not necessary for the shepherds, they're for the sheep. So to the media is not necessary for the masters, it's sometimes for the masses. So you would be wise to select what goes into your mind, in my opinion, and ask, is this really the highest priority thing to be filling your mind with? And now if you're in the movie industry and you're watching movies because you're getting insights on what's selling in the movies, then that would be the highest priority thing. But otherwise it may not be. So you have to look at what's really priority. You clearly spend a lot of your time being very, very focused on what you put into your brain, what you spend your time on. You know, I, I get the feeling you're, you're very ordered and, you know, your, your time is almost dissected down into small chunks so that you, you know you're spending it doing the right thing that, that propels you forward and meets your values and, you know, inspires you. Some of the time you might want to relax. Some of the time, you, you, you know, you're not working and you're not producing, performing and, and growing your business and, and, and speaking and teaching people. What do you do during that time? Uh, people ask me, what do you do to chill out? And I really don't feel I need to chill out. When you're doing something you love to do, you don't think about it. You just continue doing what you love doing. If I, if, when I'm on my ship sometimes, although I'll have breakfast, lunch and dinner sometimes in some of the restaurants and I'll socialize a bit, most of the day is spent in researching and writing because I love doing that. That's the thing... Why would I do something other than what's most meaningful to me? It doesn't make much sense to me. Now, I have a relationship, and so I also have a priority on relationship, and I do designate time for relationship, and some of it's spontaneous and some of it's scheduled, but I, um, I try to prioritize my life and try to live by, by priority. I don't need to take a break from what I love doing. I, I, people don't sometimes comprehend that, but I don't have a desire to get away from what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing and I'm inspired by it, so I can do long days doing what I do. People sometimes in my seminars, I, I'll go start from eight in the morning and go till midnight sometimes. We'll go all day. John, you are like the bionic man. You're, you're, uh, it's, it's very, very inspiring and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. You've, you've inspired me. Thank you so much for, for, for doing this podcast interview. Thank you. I know, I know that our listeners will have got a, a lot of value. I certainly have. And um, yeah, n nothing more for me to say than, than thank you and uh, 
and 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 I look forward to to many more positive experiences like this with you. Well, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to to share. That was Mark Homer for Mark My Words podcast.